yourself, and then you come to the conclusion. Second Peter 1, 20 and 21, uh, there's a couple things I want to point out before we go through the first eight verses this morning. And it says this, knowing this first, that no prophecy in the scriptures is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came by the will of man, but holy came not by the will of man, never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. A casual reading of those two verses uh, and, and little concern about what context is during that time, one might think that we can't understand or interpret the Bible for ourselves. And, but if you notice, there's a comma. You know, it says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. There's, there's a comma after that, and then it's context, context, context. After that notice, it says, for the prophecy never came by the will of man. Why? But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So the reason, if you read what Peter was saying, prophets did not invent this Bible. They didn't do it. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All Scripture, cover to cover, front to back, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. It doesn't mean that we like it, but it is God's word and it's, a, it's his authority. And what that scripture is simply saying is this is a God-breathed book. In other words, the men that wrote this Bible, they were inspired, they were breathed into them the words that they would pen by the Holy Spirit of God. It would be just as a secretary taking notes from someone and dictating it, if that gives you an easier picture of how the Bible was written. The Holy Spirit moved them as to what they wrote. So when you look at it from that, read it yourself, becomes more important to you than what I believe or what I say. And and that's what I would like to get across to everybody in this room. Read it yourself. So I hope everybody in the room will start with the book of Romans and then back up to Matthew and read the three. If you would just read three chapters a day, for yourself, you can read this whole Bible through in a year's time. And that's not, I don't think that's too much to ask. And then you would have a better understanding of what the Bible teaches us or what the Bible says. People have, would, will ask, then why this study of Romans? Because Romans is the doctrinal, uh, is, is the most doctrinally enriched book in the entire Bible. Paul covers all the major doctrines that the church should believe 
in the book of Romans. And if you will read it yourself, you will understand uh, that I simply believe what the Bible says. And it's that easy. So with that, the short message this morning. In 1738, um, a discouraged missionary went unwillingly to a religious conference um, in England or in London, and a miracle took place at that conference. And during that, that, that message or that evening, um, he went home and wrote in his journal. He said, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I, a missionary, trusted in Christ that evening and Christ alone. For salvation, not of myself, but I trusted in Christ and Christ alone. And an assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins and saved me from having to live the law and death and hell and sin. That missionary that penned those words was John Wesley. A missionary that got saved. The original founder, he and his brother of the Methodist Church. And the message that he heard that evening was simply the preface of Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Romans. What is strange is a few months earlier, before he had written that in the journal that evening, he said this in that exact same journal. I went to America to convert the Indians, but oh, I had to come face to face with who would convert me Because I knew I was not saved. The result of him going to hear Spurgeon was the great Anglican revivals that swept through England in the early 1700s. Paul's epistle to Romans is still transforming lives and just the way that it transformed Martin Luther and then it transformed John Wesley. If you will simply read it for yourself. If you will read what is in this book. And the one scripture that Luther stated. That above all others that brought me out of mere religion. Think about that. That brought me out of mere religion into the joy of salvation by grace through faith was Romans 1.17. The just shall live by faith. And if you never read any other book in the Bible, if you've never read your Bible, you, you, you just take for granted what someone else says, go read the book of Romans and study it with us through this study. You think of that. Romans 1.17, the just shall live by faith. It was the book of Romans was written by the apostle Paul from Corinth 
somewhere around 56 A.D., after the death of Christ. And this letter was carried to Christians in Rome by one of the deaconesses of the church at at Caesarea. And her name was Phoebe, and you can find that. I'm not just making that up, or some scholar, in Romans 16, verses 1. And, And I want you to imagine, just think about this. You can read and study the same letter that Phoebe took to those Romans that was in Rome at that time, the Church of Rome, and you yourself can be transformed with the same knowledge, the same power, the same inspiration that it was to Luther and that Luther transmitted to Wesley. The same Holy Spirit that taught them can teach you and can teach us through this study. We are not going to rush through it. Um, And this morning I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. I'll ask them to leave it up a little bit as we look at it. But Paul seeks in these first seven verses to link himself to his Roman leaders. And he presented his credentials beginning first with he was a servant of Christ. Romans 1 verses 1. Paul, a bondservant, or could read Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scripture concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Notice that. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations. For his name among whom you are also called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The word that he used, Paul, a bondservant, as I said, could meaningfully be said slave. There were an estimated 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire during that time. And they were looked upon as a piece of property, not a person. We think that slavery simply goes back to Africa, and that is not true. These people during this time would relate to what Paul was saying. And he, in loving devotion is comparing his ministry to Christ as if he had enslaved himself as a servant to obey God's will. If I could stop right there for just one moment, bring this over into something that we can relate to, and and just for one second or one second get everyone to consider the will of God. For your life. You see, teenagers, if they would consider God's will for their life 
or adults, young adults as far as that goes, the will of God just in who you date, it would change your life because that one decision, that one decision can either make or break your happiness for your entire life. And the Bible says, be not unequally yoked together. In other words, you should not even date someone that you don't plan to marry, especially if they are unsaved. Because you never know who you're going to fall in love with. The second, when it comes to God's will that you should consider, everyone should, is what are your, what, what, what's your vocation? Have, have you ever thought about, well, I want to be, little kids, I want to be a fireman when I grow up. And we allow our kids to make those kind. What do, and, and our response to that should be, what does God want you to be, Johnny? Because your vocation is something you've got to be contented with for your entire life. I know people that are still doing, they're still trying to find their niche in life at 50, 60 years old, bouncing from job to job, because they did never consider what does God want me to be. What does God want me to do to supply for my family or to supply for myself as far as that goes when it comes to a vocation? If just those two things as a teenager or a young adult that that folks would consider, it would change their life and their outlook on life when it comes to the will of God. Paul said, I'm a servant, a slave to the gospel. And if adults would consider God's will when it comes to where they serve God or consider God's will to the church you attend. I tell people that are moving out of this area, they say, preacher, my job's taking me to so-and-so. I say, you better go find a church there before you worry about where your job's taking you because that's the most important decision you can make is where you attend church and you've got your family in a church because we live in a godless society where people don't have a clue what the Bible says, or anything about who God is, and your church that you attend is important, and what they teach and believe as to whether or not it is this Bible. Not, I was raised in such and such a denomination, or I was raised in such and such type of church. That doesn't matter. Find someone that teaches the truth, the truth from God's Word, and you read it for yourself and verify that. So many of us, we look at our church as to, well, my granny carried me into this such and such type of church or this doctrine or this denomination, and I just, you better make sure they're teaching the truth from God's Word. Our church that you attend, family finances. Folks, consider God's will for your family finances. I, I know folks that they'll come and they'll, we've had folks testify. From, I messed up my life for the first 20 years because I didn't consider God. I, we just bought everything we looked at, looked at and everything we saw. And if we had a check, we thought there was money in the account and we bought it. Rather than considering God's will for their purchases, considering God's will for marriage. I, I have folks all, well, God led me to get a divorce. That's a lie from hell. If God placed you with someone, then that's a choice for life. Now you say, well, I'm divorced. This folks drop kick. Lord, no, God gives everybody a second chance, myself included, you know. 
He's not a God that drop kicks us to the curb, and the church shouldn't either, just because somebody's been divorced. But we need to, we need to go to God in prayer and have peace about our decisions, about our, our marriage, about our jobs, about where we live and where we move and choosing the right friends. I had the opportunity to meet with a group of you all this week and your triangle in life, the people, places, and things are the most important decisions you make because they can get you in a world of trouble just based on your people, places, and things that you associate with and what God's will is for you in those things. I could camp right here for days and talk about God's will for people's life and the mess I've seen them make of their life over their decisions. And, and the biggest thing you can do is make a decision and, and, uh, about what God's will is and, and just pray and seek God's face, His will, and the peace that He'll give you and open and close doors if you're looking for that to take place in your life rather than just say, well, I'm doing this and rushing and making a decision. Oh, the heartache that you could save if, like Paul, you would say, I'm called to be an apostle. That was his second thing. I'm a slave of Jesus Christ, and I, he was an apostle. In the second part of verse 1, he says he was an apostle, and that's unique in the fact that there was only so many apostles because the first requirement, one of the first requirements to be an apostle was, uh, was he saw the risen Savior in person. And he tells us that in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 1 and 2. They're called to be an apostle to the Gentiles. He says to all nations. He shows us there in that verse that Christianity was rooted in Judaism, but the big picture and the big deal was he was now taking it to all nations and God had called him to do that. When we look at it from that, faith is for all humanity. Not for one certain race. It's why we have missionaries all over the world taking Christ. He had received Christ's divine revelation. Paul had that he was to share with the church in all nations. You think about it. Paul wrote 14 letters if you count Hebrews. I, I think he wrote Hebrews. Some people do not. We're not we don't know who done it because it's not defined. But in, in, and they're written in order if you notice Romans is one of the longest to the church, and the, the last was those written to individuals. And he, he leaves us in, in Corinthians. He says he was an apostle, but, but you are not called to be apostles. We didn't get to see Christ risen in person. But in 1 Corinthians 5.20, he tells Christians that we are ambassadors. Ambassadors. What is an ambassador? Someone that represents God in a foreign land. We are here as Christians for the purpose of representing God, to be a light to the unsaved, to be a witness to those that are lost and without Christ. Representatives in a foreign land. Oh, how we forget who we are representing 
whenever we act the way we do sometimes in public, whenever we say the things that we say, whenever we walk by those that are unsaved in our family or our neighborhoods and don't tell them about Christ when there's a need in their life, whenever we don't seek out those that we can tell about Jesus and the goodness of God. Third thing, he was a preacher of the gospel. He says there, he said, Paul called to be an apostle separated to the gospel of God. Separated to the gospel of God. You see, in the first part of Paul's life, he's a very educated man in the, in the Old Testament and under the law of the Jews. It, it, he gives us a lot of that. And we see it in the book of Acts when Luke wrote. But he was a Jewish rabbi. He was actually a Pharisee, which is a sect within that of being a rabbi. And it was all about the law and traditions. All about it. That's what Paul was. And when he trusted Christ, he yielded himself to God's will, which was what I'm asking us as Christians to consider this morning, to what is God's will for our life. He became separated to the gospel of Christ, the good news. When we talk about the gospel, it's very well defined in 1 Corinthians 1 through 4. It's Christ died, he was buried, and he rose again. Folks think whenever I, well, I I witness about, I'm supposed to tell folks that you need to do this and this, and you need to get baptized, you need to be this, and you need to do all these different things, and you need to live and do da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da and go on. Paul says the gospel is the good news. You get saved by believing the gospel. All these other things, there's nothing wrong with it, but make it, that's post, after getting saved. You trust Christ first by believing the gospel. He was buried. He, he, was, he died. He was buried and rose again. And he did that for your sins and mine. And when we look at it from that, why? Because the gospel originated with God. Notice what he said there in verse, in verse 1. He said the gospel of God. The gospel of God. Why does it say that? Because the gospel is not something invented by man. And neither is it something that the churches and the different denominations can say, we believe it this, we believe it this, we believe it this. We... No, it's defined that the gospel is simply the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians uh, one through four, it tells us that so that it stops all the foolishness of you got to do this, 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 and this in order to be saved. No, you got to believe the gospel. And it's the gospel of God because it's not something that all these different denominations and churches made up. And the defining point of any church that you attend should be what do they believe the gospel to be and what the, what the requirement is for salvation. Because the requirement alone for salvation, you'll find in, as we go through this book, is that you trust and believe the good news, the gospel of Christ. He even calls it the gospel of God. And in Romans 1.16, which we're not going to get to this morning, he calls it the gospel of Christ. Why? Because it centers around Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And then he also calls it the gospel of the Son. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 9, 
Why? Because it indicates Jesus is God, God's Son, incarnate in the flesh. There's so much in the book of Romans that I wish we, I, I just can't wait to get there so that we can, we can learn it together. See, the gospel is not a new message. It's not something made up by the, by the church or by pastors or preachers. The salvation that we enjoy today was promised by the prophets in the Old Testament. Christ was born of a virgin. He was our substitute when he died on the cross. A victorious resurrection so that he lives, we live, and can have eternal life. Paul is sending this letter to those churches, multiple churches in Rome. And the, the, the truth of the matter is they were probably, likely, they were believers that were saved at Pentecost. Those, if you remember, and if you don't, that's okay. But they were saved at Pentecost and those 3,000, not even counting women and children, then 5,000 that were saved and baptized when the Holy Spirit first came and Peter preached. These people had left Jerusalem and went to Rome is, is what scholars believe. And he's explaining salvation is not something we do for God. Salvation is God calls us into His grace. You say, where do you find that at in the Bible? Second Thessalonians, glad you asked. Chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. And I want to read it to you, and you read along with us this morning. Second Thessalonians 2, 13 through and 14. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you. Brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning, think about this, chose you for salvation through sanctification, how? By the Spirit and the belief in the truth to which He called you by our gospel. In other words, we all get saved the same way by the gospel that God calls us or draws us into. Why? For the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, everybody that's saved gets saved the same way by believing the gospel. And everybody that gets saved is called or drawn. How? By the Holy Spirit. Aren't you thankful this morning that God called you? You think about that. Is he calling you today? You say, I don't know what's that look like. I'll tell you what it looked like for me. I was about an 18 or 19 year old hippie. Hadn't lived in my mom's home or, or at home for four or five years. As soon as I got my driver's license, I never went back. I think I've only spent one night there since then. Nothing to do. I was just wild enough to shoot at. I, I, I told the guys this week, I, I had an afro I could tease out and make it touch on all three sides of a 6-8 door. Kelly and them's got pictures of it. They put it up every now and then just to 
so I don't forget it. <laughs> but I was in church, me and my brother, my mom begged us to go to church, to go to church. I was raised in church, but never had trusted Christ. That's why it's so important, rather let's do something other than just flannel grass and tell stories over here. We want to present the gospel to kids so that they'll trust Christ. But I was raised in church and never trust Christ. And I sat in a service one Sunday morning and the Holy Spirit convicted my heart to where I was white-knuckled on the pew in front of me. Didn't know what was transpiring. Not long after that, my grandfather had passed away. I didn't go to an altar. I didn't trust Christ. My grandfather, who was my rock in my life, passed away, and I went to the service. The same pastor that preached that Sunday morning preached my grandfather's funeral. And during that funeral, he said, if you ever expect, I, I can't tell you that your, your grandfather's in heaven or your family member's in heaven, but I can tell you this, if he is, and you ever expect to see him again, you need to trust Christ as your Savior. Holy Spirit, once again, drawing me, made me come to the realization I wanted to see, to make sure I got to see my grandfather again. I was working as a machinist and was driving by the church and it was like the Holy Spirit turned the wheel. There was one car sitting in front in a parking spot and I just drove in. I, I can't tell you why. I was being drawn by the Spirit. I walked up and the door was unlocked and I thought, I'm going to go in here and just, I didn't know what I was, I thought, I don't know how to pray. I, I can't go in there and pray. They're liable to think I'm stealing something out of the place. And as I opened the door, the pastor walked out of the, his office. He said, can I help you? He didn't recognize me. I recognized him. I, I, why? I mean, I think you'd know somebody that, and then he said, you're so-and-so's family, son, grandson? I said, yeah. He said, why are you here? I said, I don't know. I just, I, 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 I'm, you said something that troubled me. He said, what's that? He thought I was mad at him. I said, it. It troubled me in the fact I didn't know what the word conviction was. I didn't know what drawl was. I didn't know anything. I said, you said if I ever wanted to see my grandfather again, I needed to put my faith in Christ, and I don't know how to do that. There was a trophy case there in the foyer of all things. He said, come here a minute. He pulled his New Testament out, took me through the Scriptures, showed me I was a sinner, Showed me that I owed a penalty for sin. Christ had paid that penalty. And if I'd bow my head and put my faith and trust in Christ as best I know how and call upon him, he'd save my soul. I did that over that trophy case because God was calling me. He was drawing me. This morning... Is he calling you? Is he drawing you? Are you a Christian you think like John Wesley was a missionary 
and have never put your faith and trust in Christ. You're trusting your water baptism. You're trusting good works. You're trusting because your grandma or grandpa was saved and you went to church, but you've never put your faith and personal trust in Jesus Christ. You're, a, you're, you're just saying, I'm a Christian. No. Have you ever bowed your head and said, Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. As best I know how, I'm putting my faith and trust in you. I believe you died for me and was rose again the third day. Please come into my heart and save me. I'm not saying you have to pray those exact words. You don't have to say that exact prayer. But have you ever done that? Because the assurance that comes, listen to what Wesley said. I had an assurance and a peace in my heart that I had put my faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone. And at that time, you know that you're a child of the King. If you haven't done that, I pray you do it this morning before it's too late because you're not guaranteed tomorrow. We lost a good friend this week. I'm thankful that I know Chris had trusted Christ. Worked with kids in this community for years. Young, in his 40s. Have you ever put your faith and trust in Christ? So that at your funeral, your family can have peace by knowing that they can get to see you again. Let's stand.